0: 3AM Tales of Terror contains explicit content. Listener discretion is advised.
1: Welcome to another episode of 3 a.m. Tales of Terror, where we tell you stories of the paranormal. I'm your host, Jamie.
0: And I'm Keeni.
1: And you took my iPad off the charger last night to charge your vape, and my char- my iPad is now at 26%. So,
0: Do you know what's more important?
1: Uh, trust me, I know nicotine is for you. Uh-huh. <laughs> and not for me, though. I don't need it.
0: It's the one vice I have.
1: So anyways, um... I want to say first off that thank you to Nikki for sending me some um, really great suggestions to do stories on, and I'm going to get to them. I promise.
0: Nah, she don't care. <laughs> but
1: but <laughs> like the Sally House, I know about, and like I, every time I go to search it, it's like two paragraphs for the story, and I'm like, I don't, I, I need more. <laughs> so. Um also the Hamburger Man that you sent me is definitely more true crime than paranormal cuz it like really happened and he really did bad things to women so <laughs> might find that on a different podcast but uh so anyways but yeah I mean other than that like I'm I plan on getting to them a couple of them I probably will do like in the same episode maybe next time i was mainly trying to search like the sally house information because i know that house and i know what happened and stuff and i just it wasn't it wasn't working it's like when i looked up lizzie borden it gave me shit nothing like
0: that's the girl that chopped her man's penis off right
1: what no
0: that's not lizzie borden
1: no lizzie borden killed her parents with the axe she with 40 wax
0: okay (laughs) (laughs) who am i thinking of the lady that chopped her husband's penis off Because she found out he was cheating on her.
1: I don't know. That sounds like a lot of women, though.
0: Yeah, but I think she was the first to ever think about it, and that's why she was put to death, because all the men were afraid of her, because, like, who Who, who does that? I mean... I'm going to talk like Robert this entire podcast.
1: Please don't. Who do that? Oh, my God. So, anyways, this episode, we're going to be telling you stories about cryptids, Um, My
0: favorite type of paranormal stiffs. Yeah,
1: so I know that last time we had done some cryptids. We've done a few cryptids. Like, I know we've done, like, the Wendigo, which is kind of its own thing. We did a lot
0: of the West Virginian ones. We did a lot of the ones We did Cheap Squatch. We did the Greenbrier Monster. We did the- I don't know. Oh, God. What's his name? He looks like an alien. The Lakewoods Monster? Lake- I know. We did a bunch of the West Virginian ones. We -hmm. did not do Sasquatch, because he's not really sketchy.
1: So, um, we're just doing a bunch of, like, random ones now. Um, some of them.
0: And we apologize for not freaking recording the last couple of weeks. We've been hella
1: Busy, busy, busy. busy and so tired. And, <laughs> and I, we're not going to stop doing this podcast. Like, I don't want you guys to think that if we go, like, a week or so. I hate not being consistent. I really do. But. You have to understand that we both work forty-hour-week a jobs, (laughs) and I'm also in school, so I have homework, and I'm taking taking care of this house, taking care of this house, taking care of the new construction house, the new construction house, which I
0: really deal with most of that. But God bless, yeah, checking over all the contractors, doing all that stuff. Plus, we're taking care of your mother's house. Yup. Because I've been working on, I've pretty much been doing construction for like eighty hours a week for like the last month and a half.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's just working
0: on all the houses
1: it's been a lot and um like i know a lot of people do this for like a living but we don't so we
0: do it for the dead (laughs) dad joke yeah
1: so and and i do it because i know that the few listeners that we have i know you guys enjoy and i know you guys think kenny is funny because i know you don't give a shit about me even though i because i'm the star (laughs) and i'm fucking hilarious and
0: i am a catch and you are lucky wow we're just going to put it out there.
1: <laughs> and Eli enjoys the podcast because he likes taking naps.
0: You smell that, right, Jamie? What? It's because I'm the I shit. Know.
1: Oh, my God. So, anyways. <laughs> we're going to talk about a bunch of different cryptids. Some are in the U.S. Some are not. Some are weird. Some are funny. So, I just thought that a lot of these were cool. Some you probably know about. Some you probably don't. If you're from, like, certain areas where this, where the, these are. You might know about them. And if you don't, you don't. Then you're going to learn. You're going to learn today. So, anyways. Let's learn these people some shit. So, I'm going to give some background on cryptids, even though I know you guys probably know. But I'm just going to I put this in here as, like, a precursor to getting started on this. So... Cryptids are animals that cryptozoologists believe may exist somewhere in the wild, but whose present existence is disputed or unsubstained, unsubstantiated by science. Cryptozoology is a pseudoscience which primarily looks at anecdotal stories and other claims rejected by the scientific community. While biologists regularly identify new species following established scientific methodology, Cryptozoologists focus on entities mentioned in the folklore record and rumor. Entities that may be considered cryptids by cryptozoologists include Bigfoot, Yeti, the Chupacabra, the Jersey Devil, which we've talked about, the Loch Ness Monster, and the Mokalele Membé, whatever that is, not quite sure. Mimbombe. Whatever. Scholars have noted that the cryptozoology subculture rejected the mainstream approaches, from an early date, and that adherents often express hostility to mainstream science. Scholars have studied cryptozoologists and their influence, including the pseudosciences association with young Earth creationism, Noted parallels in cryptozoology and other pseudosciences such as ghost hunting and ufology and highlighted uncritical media propagation of cryptozoologist claims.
0: So what you're saying is cryptozoologists are the flat earthers (laughs) (laughs) of their science uh, science (laughs) field.
1: Yeah. So you guys know like we've talked about the Jersey Devil. We've talked about alien big cats. I left those out. There is one like feline that I put in here that we didn't talk about because it's not an alien big cat. Because um, we talked about the Beast of Dartmoor. Well, me and Charlie did. talked about the Beast yeah, of... Dartmoor. I was Beast about to say, <laughs> I, don't,
0: I don't remember that. I was not here We talked here about the that. Jersey
1: Devil. We talked about the Beast of Dartmoor. We've talked about the Wendigo. But I don't think... I think the Wendigo is its own thing. And I
0: think we stayed in West Virginia for the... I mean, we stayed in West Virginia.
1: I, I think we did like maybe a couple that weren't in West Virginia. But they were in like the Northeastern yeah, territory. Yeah, because
0: Mothman got to get his own because you know... I know. Live, laugh, live. Mothman's
1: got to get his own, and I want to do Bigfoot and Yeti on their own too. I would like to get like a big episode of well, we both need to of do them. Is just go
0: to Point Pleasant for like a week
1: and do a podcast and do the episode podcast there. there for Mothman. <laughs> oh and
0: maybe I can meet Daddy.
1: Cat <laughs> hates Mothman because
0: Mothman's sketch, dude.
1: She said she hates when when Jethro mentions him. She's like, don't say his name.
0: Live, laugh, lurk, mothman.
1: <laughs> She's like, don't say his name. He's gonna know. <laughs>
0: he does. He appears.
1: Oh my gosh. Okay, so you're gonna talk. I'm
0: gonna talk about the Loveland frog. Yeah. <clears throat> I, right. in Ohio for.
1: <laughs> Great Fork lore.
0: Great start. <laughs> Great start. Killing it. Ten out of ten. <laughs> In Ohio folklore, the Loveland Frog, also known as the Loveland Frogman or the Loveland Lizard, is a legendary humanoid frog described as standing roughly four feet tall, allegedly spotted in Loveland, Ohio in 1972. The Loveland Frog legend gained renewed attention when a Loveland police officer reported to a colleague that he had seen an animal consistent with the descriptions of the frogman. After a reported sighting in 2016, the second officer called a news station to report that he had shot and killed the same creature some weeks after the 1972 incident and identified it as a large iguana that was missing its tail, even though iguanas grow their tails back. I know. And why would there be an iguana up there? So anyway, <laughs> University of Cincinnati folklore professor Edgar Slotkin compared the Loveland frog to Paul Bunyan, saying that stories about it had been passed down for and I quote, several decades, and that sighting report seemed to come in predictable cycles. In May 2014, the Loveland Frog legend was made into a musical titled, Hot Damn, It's the Loveland Frog. (laughs) I'd go see that. (laughs) I know. In 2019, artist Dog... Wait, what?
1: I don't know if it's Dog Did or Dog Died. In 2019,
0: artist Dog Did... Dog, dog died. It's literally spelled "dog died."
1: Yeah, I don't created know that a song is.
0: called "Hot Damn, I'm the Loveland Frog."
1: We should listen to that
0: song. So now we're talking about the legends. According to various legends, the creature was first sighted by a businessman or a traveling salesman driving along an unnamed road late at night in 1955, with some versions of the story specifying the month of May. In one story, the driver was heading out of the Branch Hill neighborhood when he spotted three figures standing erect on their hind legs along the side of the road, each three to four feet in height with leathery skin and frog faces. In other versions of the story, the creatures were spotted under or over a poorly lit bridge, and one held a wand over its head that fired a spray of sparks. So we have <laughs> magical toads.
1: <laughs> the frogs? Frogs and toads are different.
0: Okay. So we're in the late 50s, early 60s?
1: Mm, 55, yeah.
0: Okay. Acid? <laughs> it could
1: have been. I feel like three to four feet in height. Okay, so maybe it was like a small child setting off fireworks, but it was also in May, so that kind of throws that away.
0: And th- I think they were having a bad acid trip.
1: <laughs> but they were police officers. Oh, wait, no, this was a traveling salesman. Yeah
0: and i've never heard he was working and i yeah because people don't get high at work (laughs) ever not in america we're all saints
1: probably not in the 50s
0: i've never heard of any cops doing drugs ever
1: well there's also police reports from cops
0: (laughs) yeah i'm gonna take the fact out that i was high as a fucking kite out of my police report i mean yeah all right so we talk about the police reports on March 3rd, 1972, at 1 a.m., Loveland Police Officer Ray Shockey was driving on Riverside Drive near the Totes Boot Factory in the Little Miami River when an unidentified animal scurried across the road in front of his vehicle. The animal was fully illuminated in his, in his headlights and described it as 3 to 4 feet long and about 50 to 75 pounds with leathery skin. He reported spotting the animal, crouched like a frog, before it momentarily stood erect to climb over the guardrail and back down towards the river. Two weeks after the incident, a second Loveland police officer, Mark Matthews, reported seeing an unidentified animal crouched along the road in the same vicinity as Shocky's sightings. Matthews shot the animal, recovered the body, and put it in his trunk to show Officer Shocky. According to Matthews, it was a large iguana, about three or three and a half feet long, and he didn't immediately recognize it because it was missing its tail. Matthews speculated the iguana had been someone's pet that either got loose or was released when it got too large. According to Matthews, Shockey was shown the dead iguana and confirmed it was the animal he had seen two weeks previously. Matthews recounted the incident to an author of a book about urban legends, but says the author omitted the part that confirmed the creature was an iguana rather than a frogman. Matthews also recounted the frogman story in 2016 again on WCPO Channel 9. (laughs)
1: So, Or what
0: happened was his department was like, it was an iguana. Yeah. You need to calm down. I know.
1: But I don't, an iguana in Ohio? I mean, I guess like he said, unless it was somebody's pet, but they don't and really. And it lost
0: its tail and stood erect.
1: Iguanas don't do that, though.
0: And ran erect across the road.
1: Yeah, iguanas don't do that. Mm. And they don't move that fast. Iguanas aren't like. No the fastest i mean they're not slow by any means but like they're not fast fast either so anyways i i gave you a lot to read by the way because i wanted you to have because you hate me the next one so i'm going to talk about the dover demon which i know i feel like we've mentioned the dover demon but we haven't ever talked about the dover demon so the dover demon is a creature reportedly sighted in the town of dover massachusetts on April 21st and April 22nd, 1977. Um, A 17-year-old William Bill Bartlett claimed that while driving on April 21st, 1977, he saw a large-eyed creature with tendril-like fingers and glowing eyes on top of a broken stone wall on Farm Street in Dover, Massachusetts. 15-year-old John... Dover, Massachusetts. Massachusetts. 15-year-old John Baxter reported seeing a similar creature on Miller Hill Road the same evening. Another 15-year-old, Abby Brabham, claimed to have seen the creature the following night on Springdale Avenue. The teenagers all drew sketches of the alleged creature... Bartlett wrote on his sketch, I, Bill Bartlett, swear on a stack of Bibles that I saw this creature. According to the Boston Globe, the location of the sightings plotted on a map lay in a straight line over two miles. Some suggested that the creature may have been a foal, newborn elk, or moose calf. Joe Nickel believes that the creature was likely a snowy owl based on a size of based on size and plumage, which would have reflected in the yellow headlights of older cars as the peach color described by Bartlett. That's fair. In addition, the long spindly arms and figures of the supposed creature could be the partially opened wings and the splayed feathers at the wingtips of a snowy owl. Police told the Associated Press that creatures reported by the teenagers quote, were probably nothing more than a school vacation hoax. Skeptic Ben Redford, or Radford had suggested the sightings may have been influenced by the pop culture of the time as 1977 was a year for big-headed client-type creatures, whatever those are.
0: Uh, were most of your sightings, like, reemerged because of all the movies coming out?
1: Oh, yeah. The 70s was a big year for, like, aliens.
0: Yeah, and like tentacle monsters. Yeah. And... So. So you gave me the Mongolian deathworm. I did, because I and thought you'd. I, ho, oh, my Lanta. You got this. That's a pie symbol.
1: That's a what? Where? Uh, in that word. Where? The
0: Mongolian deathworm. And then it says in Mongolian. That's a backwards pie symbol. Oh, I see it. <laughs> and apparently it says Olgoy kurkoy. Kyor
1: yeah. Whatever. You don't have to read which it, which
0: means large intestine worm. Yeah is a creature alleged to exist in the Gobi Desert. However, no evidence has ever been found to support this belief. Tales of the creature first came to Western attention as a result of Roy Chapman Andrews' 1926 book On the Trail of Ancient Man. The American paleontologist described secondhand tales of the monster that he had heard at the gathering of Mongolian officials. Quote, none of those present ever had seen the creature, but they all firmly believed in its existence and described it... Minutely. In 1983, a specimen of Tartar sand boa was shown to locals who claimed to have seen Olgoy Kyorkoy, and they confirmed that this was the same animal. I'm probably butchering that because, going to be real with you, I don't probably speak no. So, what does it look like? In On the Trail of Ancient Man, andrew cites Mongolian Prime Minister Damdin Bazar, who in 1922 described the worm. Quote, it is shaped like a sausage about two feet long, has no head, nor a leg, and it's so poisonous that merely touching it means instant death. It lives in the most desolate parts of the Gobi Desert. In 1932, Andrews published publishes information again in the book The New Conquest of Central Asia, adding, It is reported to live in the most arid, sandy regions of the western Gobi. Andrews, however, did not believe in the creature's existence. The worm is said to inhabit the western or southern Gobi. In the 1987 book... Altane Sadak Govd Ivan Mackerel cites a Mongolian legend which describes the creature as traveling underground, creating waves of sand on the surface which allow it to be detected. It is said it can kill at a distance either by spraying a venom at its prey or by means of electric discharge. It primarily lives in burrows underground, only rarely coming to the surface. The animal was the basis of a, short story, a al- shirt story. A shirt story? A shirt story. Leaving it. Olgoy Korkoy, in 1944, by Russian paleontologist and science fiction writer Ivan Yefremov. Written under the impression of Andrew's book, in the 1946-49, Yefremov was studying fossils in the Gobi Desert and wrote that he had heard the legend of Olgoy Korkoy many times, but nobody claimed to have seen it. In 1990 and 1992, Ivan Mackerel led small groups of companions into the Gobi Desert to search for the the worm. I can't English today. You
1: definitely can't Mongolian, so. Ah, That's for damn sure.
0: (laughs) Inspired by Frank Herbert's novel Dune. That makes sense. I was about to say this sounds familiar. Mm -hmm. In which giant fictional sandworms can be brought to the surface by rhythmic thumping, Mackerel constructed a motor-driven thumper and even used small explosions to try to find it. In 2005, zoological journalist Richard Freeman of the Center for... 14 zoology mounted an expedition to hunt for the death worm but came up empty-handed freeman's conclusion was the tale of the worm's powers had to be apocryphal and that he reported sightings likely involved an unknown species of worm lizard or amphibian. reality television series destination truth conducted an expedition from 2006 to 2007 a New Zealand television entertainment reporter, David Fair of TV3 News, took part in the expedition in August 2009 but came up empty-handed as well. He conducted interviews with locals claiming to have seen the worm and mentioned on his website the sightings peaked in the 1950s.
1: I feel like, <laughs> I feel like Tremors finally, like, probably got some inspiration <laughs> from this. Cause, the like, Graboids. Yeah. <laughs> um... So, yeah, I wanted you to read him because I figured you would think that he's cool.
0: I mean, sandworms are kind of tight. Can
1: you look up a picture of him?
0: Of the sandworm?
1: No, of the Mongolian deathworm.
0: Which is pretty much just a sandworm?
1: No. Sandworms are cool. I'm going to get a sandworm. I want the Beetlejuice sandworm yard decoration for year-round.
0: Well, considering they made a movie in 2010 about it. Yeah? And it looks like Tremors.
1: Oh my god,
0: dude, that's just tremors.
1: I told you, it sounds like tremors.
0: It looks like tremors. What? Yeah, it looks like a little baby, a little baby deathworm. Oh my goodness, L- little baby graboid.
1: Okay, so now we're gonna talk about the one that I thought was really cool.
0: That's just because it's a cat.
1: It's a cactus cat. Thank you, and it looked kind of sketchy. I'm not gonna lie. I saw pictures of it. It was very weird looking. So it's a cactus cat. It says, the cactus cat is a mythical creature and fearsome critter that has been reported in the American Southwest. It's described as a bobcat-like animal with thorn-like fur, sharp bones protruding from its front legs, and a branched tail. So it's like a tail that looks like a tree branch, pretty much. The cactus cat has been sighted in the Southwestern desert in states such as California, Nevada, New Mexico. With a, with, and with a few sightings in Colorado. Cowboys and pioneers of the 19th century made up tales of the strange beast coming out at night, slashing open cacti, exposing the sap. On later nights, the creature was said to drink the fermented juice. This caused the cats to enter an intoxicated state, stumbling around and rarely attacking travelers. Attacks by these strange varmint, though considered rare, did happen from time to time, with many frontiersmen waking up to find welts on their body from the cat's barbed tail. Despite these attacks, the cactus cat was not considered an aggressive creature, except toward cacti. The critter was also known to have a unique haunting wail that could be heard at night through the darkened desert, along with the dry sound of its bones rubbing together so weird. I thought that was really weird that it it's only like it hates it's almost like it hates cactuses.
0: No, it gets drunk on cactuses. Oh! Like Like koalas.
1: Koalas don't get drunk. Elephants get drunk.
0: Koalas get high as a kite when they eat eucalyptus. Oh, wow. They become intoxicated.
1: There, um there's a tree that it's like a fermented fruit That elephants eat and they get drunk. It's funny. Anyways, in Fearsome Creatures, which is a movie, I guess, in 2015, Mm -hmm. the descendant of the wampus cat and the ball-tailed cat, the cat is remade to be the same but bigger and with a ball at the end of its tail that has spikes on it and on the cactus cat's tongue. The cactus cat is also no longer extinct in the book like with the Roperite. The cactus cat does not like humans stealing cactus sap to be made as a syrup alternate and kills those who did. The scientific name is Wampus Bibulus. Bibulus. <laughs> Explanations. The story of the cactus cat is probably fueled by numerous cases of misidentification. Um, this is where this threw me off and I wanted to add this in because most likely being a bobcat, mountain lion, or porcupine. And I was talking to Charlie about this, and I was like, "They really need to get it together because those three animals are three different sizes. So <laughs> they're three different sizes, and they're three different animals, and they have three different versions of being aggressive. So <laughs> nah, <it's> fine." Like <laughs> the cat's whale may also have been that of a puma, also different animal. It is also likely that the affable cactus cat was never believed to exist and, like most fearsome critters, was a product of a few bored woodsmen on a warm desert night. I think those motherfuckers got drunk and were like, ha ha, let's make up an animal.
0: (laughs) Or they were all having fucking hallucinations in the middle of the desert. I know.
1: From like, what is it called? It's not heat stroke. Um, it, like
0: seeing a mirage. That's thank you. A which mirage. is caused by heat stroke and I dehydration.
1: Mean, but you know what? It's called a mirage. I didn't. Know, it wasn't. You know what? Just shut up. Okay. <laughs> so, you are gonna read about the bunyip, which I thought. Put, you can talk now. Oh, do I have permission? Yes. So I thought the bunyip was really cool. Um, it's a little bit of a longer story.
0: We're gonna talk about the bunyip then. Yeah. The bunyip, also known as Kian pretty?
1: I don't know. It's Australian.
0: Oh, it's Australian. Standby.
1: That's what it says. No. Do not.
0: I'm trying to think of how they would say it. <laughs> oh my
1: god. <laughs> You're gonna offend the fuck out of somebody.
0: I'm a walking offense. I offend everybody. It's fine. Oh, I offend myself sometimes. <laughs> I don't know. I can't do, really do an Australian accent.
1: Just channel your inner Steve Irwin.
0: Crikey. <laughs> the Bunyeep, also known as the Qumpretty, is a creature uh, from the Aboriginal uh, mythology. It's, see, I go country uh, with it. I can't do Australian. Oh I can't God. do it. Oh, my God. <laughs> Australian accents are hard, man. It's like doing like really deep southern... Like Brian Denny's, oh my god, that boy's accent.
1: Oh my god, I know. And it doesn't help that he's quiet when he talks yeah, either. which
0: he... I, I'm his interpreter at work though, so it's okay. <laughs> but Australian accents are so hard, man. <clears throat> Alright. The Bunyip, also known as Kean Pretty, is a creature from the aboriginal mythology in southeastern Australia. It is said to live in swamps, billabongs, creeks, riverbeds, and waterholes. The word bunyip translates to devil or evil spirit from the Wimba Wimba language.
1: <laughs> what is the Wimba Wimba language?
0: Probably one of the very many aboriginal languages from mm, Australia. Like one of the
1: earlier languages? Yes, yeah, mom, she lived there. For two years. <laughs> you always get it mixed up I'm like oh there for like five years i'm like no i remember that day she was <laughs> you yeah, were I like i don't pay attention you were like didn't you live there for like 14 years i said it was two she goes thank you <laughs> was
0: my point stands <laughs> physical descriptions of the bunyip vary some say it has a dog-like face dark fur a horse-like tail flippers walrus-like tusks a crocodile-like head and a duck-like bill
1: Okay, wow, give me my phone. So what you're saying is, <laughs> look this is this the Australian
0: up. version of a platypus, and naturally, since it's from Australia, it will fuck you up worse. <laughs> I
1: know. I'm going to look up a picture of it.
0: There are even claims that it resembles a snake with a beard. Hot. <laughs> Gander. While its wide range of descriptions make it difficult to determine its appearance, it is agreed that the bunyip is aquatic. One of the earliest accounts of the bunyip occurred in 1818, when explorers James Meehan and Hamilton Hume discovered large bones in Lake Bathurst in New South Wales. They did not call the creature a bunyip, but described the remains as similar to a manatee or a hip hopopotamus.
1: I think that's like an artist rendition of it, but then you have this one that looks kind of like Dobby.
0: (laughs) They do look like (laughs) Dobby. In July of 1845, the Geelong Advertiser described the Bunyip in great detail. It also first it was also the first recorded use of the term Bunyip. And if we're mispronouncing that any Australian listeners if we have any.
1: Well, it's B U N Y I P. So that's why I just I thought it was like bunnyip at first, but it's an, I mean it might be. I don't know, but in, I in, just said Bunyip.
0: In 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 in, in.
1: I don't know if we have any listeners in Australia. If we do, you should let me know because that's cool.
0: In January of 1847, an unusual skull was found on the Murrumbidgee banks near Bal-ronald? the Balrond, New South Wales. Initial reports suggest that it was the skulls of an unidentified creature. By July 1847, several experts identified the skull as a deformed Fowler calf. Despite this, it was put on exhibit at the Australian Museum in Sydney as evidence of the Bunyip.
1: Oh, uh, this maybe this might be like an artist rendition. Oh my God! How that, that work out? For I, you? I I was trying to show him a picture and I tapped my screen to tap the back of my phone and it just turned the freaking flashlight on directly in my oh, eyeballs. like Siamese cat. Yeah, but those teeth. Big old chompers. Oh, my gosh. So, I don't know. It looks really weird. Like, maybe I'll, I'll post some pictures tomorrow of it or something because it just. A lot of it seems like artist renditions of it and they're all different. I don't know. Like,
0: that's because we're not communist here and all art doesn't have to look the same.
1: Oh, my God. Oh, we're not done talking about it.
0: No, we're not.
1: <laughs> One legend says that a man named. Oh, a man named Bunyip broke the rainbow serpent's greatest law by eating his totem animal. Banished by the spirit Biami, the man became an evil spirit that lured tribesmen and their livestock into the water so he could eat them. In 1857, in an article titled The Bunyip, a newspaper reported on the drawings made by Edward Stokewiller, amongst the latter... Drawings. We noticed a likeness of the bunyip, or rather a view of the neck and shoulders of the animal. Mr. Stockweller informs us that the bunyip is a large freshwater seal having two padules or fins attached to the shoulders, a long swan-like neck, a head like a dog, and a curious bag hanging under the jaw, resembling the pouch of the pelican. The animal is covered with hair like the platypus, and the color is glossy black.
0: I told you it's a dangerous platypus.
1: <laughs> Mr. Stockwiller says, saw no less than six of these curious animals at different times. His boat was in 30 feet of one near McGuire's punt on the Goulburn and he fired at the bunyip, but did not succeed in capturing him. The smallest appeared to be about 5 feet in length and the largest exceeded 15 feet. That's what you call a fuck no. Um,
0: I mean it is Australia.
1: I know. Australia is I'm never going to Australia. I don't care. I don't care if huntsman spiders are the nicest fucking insect or arachnid on this planet. I don't if I see one I'm going to have a heart attack. I don't care. I don't want it. I don't know. They're want... so pretty. I... No, they're not. What? Tarantulas are prettier than them. You
0: won't crack. Huntsmen's are cool.
1: Whatever. So, anyways, um, the head of the largest was the size of a bullock's head and three feet out of water. After taking a sketch of the animal, Mr. Stockwiller showed it to several people of the Goulburn tribe who declared that the picture was Bunyip's brother meaning a duplicate or likeness of the bunyip. The animal moved against the current at a rate of about seven miles an hour, and Mr. Stockweller states that he could have approached close to the specimens he observed he, had he not been deterred by the stories of the natives concerning the power and fury of the bunyip and by the fact that his gun had only a single barrel and his boat was of a very frail description." Uh huh, uh huh, or you could have just been scared. The bunyip could be the misidentification of a known species with suggestions such as leopard or elephant seals, cassowaries. I don't know if I said that right. And it's cassowaries. Okay, and Aust- Australasian bitterns. Bitterns. Okay, whatever those are. It is also believed the bunyip could be sur- could be a surviving diprotodon or other extinct Australian marsupial. I want to know what an Australasian bittern is cuz is that Aus? that's not Australian. That is Australasian cuz you know what it's probably Australian and Malaysian. Those are two different countries though. That is a bird. A bird? Is a bird. What does it look like?
0: It looks like a guinea.
1: Like a like a peacock?
0: Like a guinea.
1: <laughs> <laughs> look at that neck. <laughs> it looks like a guinea. Oh my goodness. So anyways, the like, bunyip looks pretty sketchy in pictures. Oh,
0: Like guinea. It looked like, look like our guineas.
1: Oh yeah. I mean it looks pretty sketchy in pictures. I don't, I've never been to Australia. I don't really plan on going to Australia. No, you don't say. It's, okay. so,
0: it's a prison colony anyway. It's cool. <laughs> oh
1: my god. Uh, why do you say that?
0: It literally was
1: was it not that it is so anyways yeah so i did put some like explanations for some of these in here too by the way just because one some of them are funny and two just because they're you know they have sightings and stuff doesn't mean that they couldn't have been like bullshit exactly i couldn't think of the word i got you okay you're gonna read about the lamb of tartary Mm -hmm. which is also not in this country
0: the lamb of tartary the lamb of tartary also known as the vegetable lamb of tartary the scythian lamb the boromets boromets baromets
1: (laughs) i think it's just different spellings of baromets
0: or simply the vegetable (laughs) Lamb is a legendary cryptid of central asia it was believed to grow (laughs) oh god (laughs) It was believed to grow sheep in the same manner that a tree grows fruit, which were connected to the plant by an umbilical cord.
1: Oh, I feel like I just left that shit in there for you to get
0: hung up on. It's like... You know, it triggers my autism. <laughs> in his book, The Vegetable Lamb of Tartary in 1887, Henry Lee describes the legendary lamb as to be both a true animal and a living plant. However, he states that some writers believe the lamb to be the fruit of the plant sprouting forward from melon-like seeds. Others, however, believe the lamb to be a living member of the plant that would perish if it was separated from it. The vegetable lamb was believed to have blood, bones, and flesh like that of a normal lamb. However, later in the 16th century, the lamb of Tartary was believed to have authentic blood, bones, but not true flesh. It was connected to the earth by a stem similar to an umbilical cord, that propped the lamb up above the ground. The stem could flex downward, allowing the lamb to feed on the grass and plants surrounding it. Once the plants within reach were eaten, the lamb died. Then, after expiring, the lamb became edible, and its blood supposedly tasted sweet like honey. Its wool was said to be used by the native people of its homeland to make head coverings and other articles of clothing. The only carnivorous animal attracted to the lamb plant, other than us were wolves that makes sense the similar creature appears in early jewish folklore tales called the yuda, yuda the, Oh, hold on it's jewish
1: I thought, I thought it was said yadua the yudwa yud whatever
0: the oh. only way to kill the strange creature was to sever the connection between lamb and stem thereafter the bones of the yudwa could be used during prophetic ceremonies In some versions of the tale, the lamb plant is highly aggressive and snatches up any poor soul within reach. These tales of Jewish folklore could be the origin of the Lamb of Tartary. It is possible that the Lamb of Tartary could be based on Sibodium baromets, a plant whose woolly rhizome, once its leaves are removed and it's turned upside down, resembles a lamb that is attached to a plant. The other possible explanations for the cryptid is that when Lee wrote his book, the only, they only knew of wool and not cotton. Wool, they reasoned, must come from sheep, so it is possible that the cryptid is just a fanciful reduction of the cotton plant used to explain the production of cotton in the Middle Ages. It may be eaten by herbivores because it is classified as a plant, Some people believe it should be put with euglena in a new kingdom.
1: Oh, euglena is an algae. It is a unicellular organism with complex internal structure that includes a contractile vacuole. There's a lot of words that I don't care about. So, but it's... it's, um, Oh, because it's a rendition. They say it's a rendition of a cotton plant because the... Sobodium baromets is a is a plant, it's a leaf plant like it's it's a very big l- leaf plant but the bottom of it is like woolly like it's like furry. Oh. Anyway, it's weird. Okay. So I can I can I can see what they mean by it should be probably put into a new kingdom um meaning like species? Yes. Okay. Like what was like kingdom phylum that
0: thing? Fallopian. I don't know what you're saying dude.
1: <laughs> It was a thing. You had to learn it in science class. I actually did pretty decent in science class in high school. It how's, was How's that working out? It was you? history that I hated. I liked my science class.
0: And you're going to school for? Business. Right.
1: Because when you get further into science, it's too much math. I'm good, thanks.
0: Everything involves math.
1: No. Yeah. This financial accounting class, it'll kill me. That's for sure.
0: Name one thing in the world that does not involve math. I don't know. Sleeping. Yeah. You have to calculate how much sleep you can get.
1: No, you really don't. Not if you don't want to. You could just sleep for however long you want to sleep. And
0: that's why you have depression and anxiety. All
1: right. Okay. So we have three more. Um, The Boggy Creek Monster is next. The Swamp Stalker of Boggy Creek, also known as the Fook Monster, or Southern Sasquatch, is a brown, is a large brown humanoid that lives near Fook, Folk, Arkansas? Folk, Arkansas. Folk. No, Fook, Arkansas.
0: It's <laughs> Folk. It's Folk, Arkansas. Yeah. It's Arkansas. It is
1: and bears a strikingly eerie similar resemblance to the momo seen in louisiana missouri <laughs> did he perk up when i said that <laughs> <laughs> we call Eli momo like kikmo mama mau and he he was up when i said momo and he <laughs> it has made major news and tracks have indeed been found it is very vicious and attacks humans Many people have been terrified by the creature Local legends of an ape-like creature date back to 1946 when it was called the Jonesville monster based on the town where it was initially 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 cited. Cited again in the mid1960s the creature didn't make local headlines until 1971 when it was said to have been oh, when it was said to have attacked the home of Bobby and Elizabeth Ford the Fuke Falk Folk. I said it to him.
0: It's folk.
1: <laughs> yeah, I,
0: can't. Yeah, you could. I can't say it like that.
1: Folk. Folk.
0: F-O-L-K. Folk. Like folks. Like folk. But say it southern. Folk. <laughs> the fook monster. What the fook? The folk monster God was lived down here in Fook, <laughs> Arkansas.
1: <laughs> Stop! I can't I can't breathe i or water now?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I can't see. Okay. The folk monster. The folk. 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 <laughs> Was the inspiration for the 1972 documentary film, The Legend of Boggy Creek, directed by the late Charles B. Pierce, which in turn inspired additional sightings up through the late 1990s. Four more films based around the Boggy Creek monster were released subsequently between 1972 and 2011. That's a long time. I would love to see the film that was released, like, closer to 2011, like the newer one. That'd be funny. You should look that up. The Southern Sasquatch... Why? You
0: ain't gonna watch it? You don't like movies. (laughs) I
1: know. I fall asleep during movies. The Southern Sasquatch... Fafquath. The Southern Sasquatch is described as a giant, human-like ape creature with long arms, long, dark hair, three toes on each foot, and bright red eyes the size of silver dollars. It's said to walk with a shuffling gait and run in a hunched or slouched posture while swinging its arms like a primate. Original reports from the 1970s describe the creature as 7 feet tall, up to 300 pounds, and a chest about 3 feet wide. The creature's alleged footprints are said to measure 17 inches long and 7 inches wide.
0: You know what they say about big feet.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the swamp monster's purported footprints have called into question the legitimacy of the creature for many skeptics and researchers. The prints, which have three toes, are completely unlike the five-toed feet of known of all primates. So
0: now we're gonna talk about hungry grass. I
1: put this in here because it reminded me of In the Tall Grass, that movie on Netflix.
0: That's the one with the maze, right? Like you go in and it would teleport you around it, and you couldn't get out.
1: Yeah, I think it was like you you went in there and you got like lost. It made you go in like different directions and stuff. And you well, like it
0: always changed. Well, you would right. be walking, and you you'd look up and you'd be like four miles away. Yeah, and you'd walk two feet and you'd look up again. And you'd be like two feet from. the It road. was such
1: a good movie, but yes.
0: It was a really weird movie. It was weird. Good movie.
1: But I put this in here because because it was different than like it's not like
0: And it's idish.
1: <laughs> it's um it's not humanoid or animal like. It is a plant. I was on um crypto I was on Cryptids Fandom and this was on here. There was a plant. There's plant uh cryptids apparently and I saw this and I thought of the movie and yeah, I just wanna put it in here. So we're gonna learn about plant cryptids.
0: I do like plant cryptids. They are the scariest of the cryptids. Yeah. Yeah, plants are fucking terrifying, dude.
1: <laughs> no. We'll read about it.
0: You gotta Until like a hundred years ago, they were like, yeah, plants just like sunlight. Oh, is that a Venus flytrap? <laughs> that thing eats bugs. I and love
1: spiders. Venus flytraps.
0: You'd find a way to kill them. So anyway, <laughs> in Irish mythology, hungry grass in Irish is oh i'm gonna probably mess this up Fier, gortok i don't know also known as fairy grass is a cursed patch of grass anyone walking on it supposedly doomed to perpetual and insatiable hunger in a permanent state of weakness harvey suggests that the hungry grass is cursed by the proximity of an unshriven course course corpse or maybe a leprechaun fair enough is irish Will Carlton's stories indeed suggest that fairies plant the hungry grass. According According to Harvey, this myth may relate to the beliefs formed in the Irish potato famine of the 1840s, actually caused by fungi. In Margaret McDougall's letters, the phrase hungry grass is by analogy. That sentence doesn't make sense. (laughs) That's why I can't fucking read it. (laughs) So you know what? Piss on it. (laughs) <laughs> one? An alternate version of the Hungry Grass story relates that anyone walking through it is struck by temporary hunger. To safely cross through, one must carry a bit of food to eat along the way, such as a sandwich or crackers and some beer.
1: So basically the sentence that he can't read is it's saying that Margaret McDougall, she wrote these letters and she used the phrase Hungry Grass in it. And according to this myth that around Hungry Grass, it is also used to describe hunger pains. So, I don't know.
0: Yeah, and guess what? Fuck that sentence. <laughs> oh, my God. Because it, it, that English ain't good. Yeah? Yeah, there's no punctuation. There's nothing. It doesn't even make sense.
1: Oh, my God. Read, keep going.
0: Qu- no, I quit. <laughs> <laughs> you don't keep going. You will lose your star. <laughs> <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> so, now we're going to talk about the Irish famine. Which also affected Russia, which nobody knows about. Oh, so it did.
1: I, I believe you.
0: What do Russians drink? Water. What do Russians drink? Beer. Wrong. What do Russians drink? Vodka. Correct. What is vodka made out of? Wheat. Wrong again.
1: I thought it was made of wheat. Nope. What's it made out of? Potatoes. Potatoes.
0: Do you know where Russia got their taters from? Irish? Yep. Okay.
1: <laughs> what a jackass <laughs> beer is made from wheat maybe maybe I don't, know. I don't drink any of that stuff
0: I know Keek <laughs> the Irish famine was a disease that made the hungry grass debatable whether or not it was real or just a superstition people thought the hungry grass just doesn't eat people it eats crops too It wasn't always called Hungry Grass. People thought that the spirit of a man was, in fact, eating people. The word fear in Irish is both man and grass. So, Hungry Man came to be because they feared him. It was said that if you give relief to Hungry Man, you will enjoy unfailing prosperity, even during the worst periods of famine and death. Nobody knew what the Hungry Man looked like, but visitations to Ireland may have given him an appearance. After this, Maxwell, who wrote Wild Sports of the West, made an assumption and called this famine Hungry Disease, which was made by fairies or was grown over by a corpse. Hungry grass was eventually what it was really called because certain grass you stepped on made you feel faint and kill over. This happened to many farmer and fishermen.
1: So basically, it seems that... Mansplain it. Uh, No, I'm saying like, like... I'm asking it as like a question like it's the people these people thought that their hunger the famine came from this crazy man yeah okay and then well it makes more
0: sense for a spirit or a deity to do it than grass
1: right Okay, that's what I wanted to make sure. So now we're going to talk about Hungry Hill. Okay, that's what I wanted to make sure that I understood, though.
0: Some have said that Hungry Hill is where hungry grass has originated from. The first person that ventured on the hill was never seen again. People were afraid to even go by the hill. Nevertheless, someone else eventually got to go up the hill and lived. A young fisherman that came to Ireland wanted to fish there, and the ocean was behind Hungry Hill. So in the morning... The fisherman forgot to eat breakfast, so he thought he would eat it on the way to the ocean. He brought an apple and a sandwich for lunch. He got the apple out and started eating it. As he got to the hill, people started yelling not to go up on the hill, but he didn't listen. As he was climbing, the grass on the hill wiggled almost snake-like and wrapped around him. He was still eating, and every time he took a bite, it would fall off of him. When he got to the shore, other fishermen told him that the hill was said to kill people. He then put two and two together and came to the conclusion that if you ate while well on the grass, you wouldn't fall ill. The fairies were furious and desisted to plant hungry grass everywhere. Some people brought food with them wherever they went. Others were skeptical and eventually fell to their doom. The famine had eventually stopped when people built a wall around Hungry Hill. If the wall was, ev- was to ever fail, the hungry grass may come back.
1: Do you know why? Because you don't fuck with fairies. You don't. You don't. What? What? You obviously got something to say with your little mouth all lined up over there. What? What? Say what you're going to say. Because you get on my nerves. And I want to know what you're going to say. You don't mess with fairies. You don't mess with fairy rings. So anyways, the last one is probably like maybe a little bit more known. I don't know. Um, It is Chessie. So Chessie is a large serpent-like animal that allegedly lives in the Chesapeake Bay. Over the years, there have been many sightings of a serpent-like creature without any flippers or horns on its body. Most sightings describe it as a long snake-like creature from 25 to 40 feet long. It is said to swim using its body as a sine curve moving through the water. There are no limbs or crest like most snakes. There was a cluster of sightings in 1977 and more in the mid-1980s. I'm going to read the sightings. I have it listed different in here, but I'm going to read the sightings first, and then I'll read the explanations and the hoax. So, the sightings. According to Matt Lake in Weird, Maryland, two perch fishermen... Francis Klarman and Edward J. Ward in 1943 spotted something in the water near Baltimore. This thing was about 75 yards away at right angles from our boat. At first, it looked like something floating on the water. It was black, and the part of it that was out of the water seemed about 12 feet long. It has a head about as big as a football and shaped somewhat like a horse's head. It turned its head around several times on almost all the way around. In 1982, Robert and Karen Frew supposedly videotaped Chessie near Kent Island. Their video shows a brownish object moving side to side like an aquatic snake. The last notable sighting of the beast was in 1997, off the shore of Fort Smallwood State Park, very close to the shore. The legend of Chessie Is very similar to and was likely inspired by that of Nessie, the Loch Ness Monster. Explanations A photograph of an unknown sea creature taken by Trudy Guthrie in 1980 uh, was later identified as a manatee from Florida. Manatees are unusual this far from Florida. A manatee nicknamed Chessie was rescued from the Chesapeake's chilly water in October 1994 and returned to Florida, but has revisited the Chesapeake several times since then. Uh, It was photographed in the Patapsco River in 2010, which was unconfirmed, and near the shore of Calvert County on July 12, 2011. The more recent photograph was confirmed by U.S. Geological Survey biologists. Unlike the reports of a serpentine creature, manatees do not swim undulating from side to side. They're too fat to do that. <laughs> and then the hoax. The classic photograph of Chessie is actually a toy dinosaur floating in the water.
0: Yeah, but there's more videos. People have- oh, yeah. Yeah, there's more videos, but I mean, it could just be a giant fucking snake.
1: It, yeah, just like the Nessie. I mean. You
0: no, know, Loch Ness Monster is real.
1: Really? Yeah. Well, if the Loch Ness monster's real, and Chessie's real. Nessie and Chessie, they're sisters. Tell them, Keek.
0: You know how you get the Loch Ness Monster to appear? How? He gonna need, he going need about 350.
1: 350 what?
0: Oh my god, you...
1: <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? Bruh. <laughs> today is my birthday. I am older, actually. I'm 29 today. You won't hear this episode till tomorrow, but... Today's my birthday. What are you talking about? South Park. I fucking hate South Park. Why would I know anything? Why would I know anything from South Park? One time, I believe it was July, August. August, there's a knock on the door. I open it, and there's this cute little gold scout. Oh, she was so adorable with the little pink now. And she says to me, how oh, would you like to buy some cookies? And I said, well, what kind do of you have? She has thin mints, graham crunchy things. Raisin oatmeal. Raisin oatmeal. And I said, we'll take a graham crunch. How much would that be? And she looks at me and she says, oh, I need about three fillets. Tree well, it was about that time that I noticed this girl scout was about eight stories tall and was a procedure from the planet girl. Not this monster. I said, damn it, monster, get out my lawn. I ain't giving you no tree for it. He said, how about just two for it? I said, oh, now it's only two for it. What is that, sale on not this munchies or something? Lord, he was angry. Damn right I was angry. Not you, the monster. He's about to kick your ass. Now shut your
0: mouth.
1: I swear, you make me lose brain cells every time you make me listen to something with like fucking South Park. And then at
0: that time when she asked for 350, I realized she was about eight stories tall and from the Panazoic era. I said, get the hell off my lawn, Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> it's fucking South Park, dude. Uh,
1: yeah. I don't like South Park.
0: Yeah, I know. You don't like good things.
1: No, because South Park is stupid. Yeah. That's why you ain't got no damn brain cells.
0: I got one. <laughs> He's struggling.
1: So, anyways...
0: But I got one. Me and Robert share it.
1: <laughs> yeah, trust me. I fucking know. So, anyways, <laughs> um, my two resources were Wikipedia, which was just the Cryptids Wikipedia page, and then Cryptids Fandom page. So, there's some more Cryptids that you now know about, if you didn't know about it before. So, anyways, that is your episode. Um, That is the story of several different cryptids and we hope that you enjoyed it and we'll see you next time deuces okay bye
0: thanks for coming to hang out with us and letting us tell you stories
1: don't forget you can find us on social media facebook and instagram at 3am tales of terror you can find pictures from each episode there as well as our website three the number three 3am tales of com.
0: you can also subscribe with your email at our website for updates as well if you have questions or story ideas for us, you can email us at info at 3amtalesofterror.com.
1: If you want to support us, you can sign up to become part of our Patreon. There, you will get ad-free episodes as well as bonus content.
0: We hope you'll join us next week.
1: And And we we hope hope you are are terrified. terrified.